Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How are we doing today? We doing good? All right, I feel like we're not doing good. I got to be honest. I feel like we're not doing good. Everybody doing okay? All right, you got to get with me today. You got to get with me. I got, I got 80% more energy than you, I can already tell. But hey, we're glad you're here. You've already heard it. We're, we know Thanksgiving's coming, and we know you're already thinking about, some of you have already got recipes started. You've already shopped for groceries. You, you know where you're headed. You know what you're doing. I've said this before, um, and I know I'm a few days early, but my dad taught me when I was young that there's three hard things to do in life. Have you heard this? Some of you have heard this. There's three hard things to do in life. One is to kiss a girl that's leaning away from you, right? That's hard to do. I've tried it. It's very difficult. Uh, The second hard thing to do is to climb a wall that's leaning towards you. That's really difficult to do. And the third thing that's really hard to do is to preach to people who are thinking about what they're going to eat. And so I know it's a little early on this Sunday, but you're already thinking about Thanksgiving. So you're thinking about turkey and stuffing and dressing, and you're thinking about all kinds, sweet potato casserole. My heavenly Lord, that's a dessert. It shouldn't even be considered a side. It should be considered a dessert. Hey, but we're glad that you're here. It is Thanksgiving week, and we're thankful that you came. And let me just say right up front on behalf of Corey and my kids, um, thank you for those of you that participated a couple weeks ago in Pastor Appreciation. Uh, we had a guest speaker last week, so I didn't want to make a big deal while they were here and kind of do that, but I knew I got the stage again this week. And so thank you so much as we read the cards and the letters that you wrote and the gifts that you sent to us. We're just so thankful for that. You're an easy group of people to love, but we are honored to be your pastor, and we love you so, so much. So thank you very, very much for that, speaking of Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving for me always makes me think about family. Uh, it, it, it's definitely food. I, I, I am a foodie. I love food. Uh, so definitely, I've already talked about food a couple of times, but it, it makes me think about family and together. And so I don't know what your Thanksgiving plans are for this coming week, and maybe you don't have the opportunity to be with extended family uh, or maybe any family at all, and that's okay. I, I, it's not meant to, to kind of make fun or, or, or to make you feel bad or to you know, kind of bring up any sore memories for you, but for me, it, it is definitely something that brings up family and togetherness, uh, and so hopefully you'll have the opportunity just to be together with someone that you love and that you care about, but as I think about all that Thanksgiving entails, I just think about uh, that attitude of giving thanks. It's self-defining, right? Thanksgiving, give thanks. And so, you know, for me, I hope that I am thankful all year long, but really when we come to these moments, it gives us the opportunity to be intentional about giving thanks, And really, as I was preparing for today and I was thinking through all that Thanksgiving is, there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions about where Thanksgiving originated. Uh, You can actually go all the way back to England and some things that they did in the fall season or even in the early winter season. Uh, We we often point to the pilgrims and the Indians there in late September or October of 1621, and uh, we see that there were 90 Indians and 53 pilgrims that came together to celebrate the end of that first harvest season season, and the 53 pilgrims were those that had survived that first winter and that first year, and there were only four women of those um, hundred that had come
come really over on, uh, on the Mayflower, come over on the ships. And so only four women had survived the first winter. And those four women and then the young women, they were the ones that really cooked the dinner there that brought together the pilgrims and the Indians. And so some people point to that. Others point to just the, the prayers of Thanksgiving that happened after every harvest season that happened for uh, really hundreds of years in the early days of our country. It didn't become a federal holiday until into the 1800s. But I think about those seasons of thanks. I think about those moments where we point to being reminded all that we have to be thankful for. And as I was preparing, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a little short sermonette right up front, and then I'm going to actually spend the rest of my time today on what I want to spend the time on, where I believe the Lord has us. But in Psalm 100, if you've got a Bible, flip with me real quick to Psalm 100. Uh, it's not right in the middle. It's kind of about two-thirds of the way through the Psalms. It's actually exactly two-thirds of the way through the Psalms for the number of Psalms that there are. But Psalm 100, it's a pretty famous Psalm. I want to read all of that, and I want to just give you a different thought, something that I was doing as I was soaping this week week. Soap is what we do when we read the scriptures here. We, we do scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And, and as a part of my soaping, I, I read Psalm 100, and, and I was just confronted with a new idea that I'd never thought about that I believe connects to, to Thanksgiving. It says this. It says, shout for, the Lord, uh, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. There's several words. You can leave that up there, guys. There's several words that stood out to me. Obviously, Thanksgiving, I wasn't doing a word search and looking for Thanksgiving in the Bible. That would have been a really great thing to do to find something. But honestly, I was just kind of reading through Psalms, which I do on a regular basis. And I came to this passage and the word Thanksgiving jumped out because Thanksgiving was on my mind. But then also the last line there, his faithfulness continues through all generations. We exist here at Canton Church because generations matter. And what we say is that some of you, you're the first generation of faith. You're here kind of charting a new course, a new territory. You're taking new territory for you and for the future of your family. And some of you are here as the recipient of the faith that's been passed to you. And what we're saying here is that his faithfulness, God's faithfulness, it endures and it continues from generation to generation to generation. But when I came to the second part of this, the first part of this is about praise. Shout for joy to the Lord. Worship with gladness. Sing joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. He made us. We're his. We're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. And then we come to that idea of entering his gates with thanksgiving. And I know sometimes as a pastor, I get this question or this conversation from people, you know, how do you really enter into the presence of God? That sounds very churchy. Some of you are very familiar with language like that. But I hear people say all the time, like, how do I, how do I praise God? How do I engage in worship? What do I do? I don't know that I've ever thought about it this way. But what if the key to unlocking your worship is just thanksgiving? What if you can get into the presence of God by rehearsing the things that you have to be grateful for? If we enter into his gates, into his courts, into his presence with praise and thanksgiving, what if the key to getting into the presence of God is just thankfulness? Now, so often the thing that prohibits us from being thankful or, or tries to stop us from being thankful is when we begin looking for the things that we don't yet have, the things that we want. 
we start thinking about all those things. My kids are making Christmas lists right now. Maybe you are too. And so what they're doing is they're writing down a list of things that they want. There's nothing wrong with that. We'll attempt to get them as many of those things as we think they need and as many of those things as we can afford as a part of the way that we do Christmas in our family. But they're writing not things that they have. Well, Tucker did. He accidentally wrote something on this year's Christmas list that we got him last year for Christmas. He had forgotten. Isn't that how it works? We get presents and we get gifts and we point all of our attention to Christmas and then a few days after Christmas we forget what we got right that's how it happens so Tucker put something on his list and Corey was like why'd you put that on your list you got that last year and he was like oh yeah we'll take that one off then so some of us that's how we do Christmas but we don't think about the things that we have we think about the things that we want and so often comparison when we look at other people and we see what they have that we don't have and what we want, it begins to rob us of our ability to give thanks. It's been said that comparison is the enemy to contentment. Comparison is the enemy to contentment. And when we begin to compare ourselves and what they have to, to somebody else, what they have and what we want, then we struggle to be content. But here's something that I just, as I was reading this this week, you can go throw the next thing up there, guys. When we focus on what I want, I forget what I have. But when I focus on what I have, I forget what I want. It could be that the way that we get into the presence of God, the way that we really engage God in worship and in praise is when we focus on what we have and we determine to be thankful for what we have and choose not to focus on just what we want. When I focus on what I want, I forget what I have. But when I focus on what I have, I forget what I want. We enter his courts with thanksgiving, with praise. And what if getting into the presence of God is all about thanksgiving? Now, I would love to stand up here today. I think it'd be a pretty easy message for me to say, hey, when you leave here, you need to be thankful. But I don't need to preach that long. I can just say, you need to be thankful, all right? And then I could be done, but I'm not going to be done because I got a lot to say today, all right? So we're going to now transition to what I believe will help all of us as we take this season of thanksgiving and we really choose to focus on what I believe could be a whole new idea for thanksgiving for all of us. Second Timothy chapter 1. This is in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is writing here. He's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he's encouraging him in these two letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, about who he is and who he is in the Lord and what his ministry should look like. And this is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. It says, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of me because of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Today, I want to really look at this idea of not just what you and I have to be thankful for, but are we the kinds of people that others are thankful for? Now, this is not self-serving. This is not so that we feel good about ourselves, like, oh, I want to be the kind of people th people are thankful for. But so that other people in our lives, I just talked about, Thanksgiving for me is about family and it's about togetherness and it's about relationships. But there's so many people in your life and in mine who don't have anybody to be thankful for. They're not really sure who they should be thanking God for. And we want to stand in the gap there, not so that people look at us and see us, but so that they look through us and see the glory of God. They see the presence of God. They see God at work in us and so we want to become the kinds of people that other people 
are thankful for. Here's what Paul was saying. He's saying, listen, there is a, a man, there's a guy, Onesephorus, and he is someone that I'm thankful for. In this season, Paul is writing. He's writing from the prisons uh, in Rome there. He's writing from uh, kind of a season of being under house arrest or in prison, depending on how you see the timing of this taking place. And he's writing back to Timothy, his protege. And as he's writing to him, he would have been abandoned by a lot of people. He would have been abandoned by a group of people who had uh, been his friends, been his supporters, been ministry colleagues. And so now as he writes to Timothy, he's been challenging Timothy throughout 1 Timothy and through 2 Timothy. And he's been talking to him about the people that he should be thankful for. He talks about the faith that existed in some of Timothy's, uh, his grandmother and in his mother. And he talks about the people of the church there and the people of the community there and how he should be thankful. But Paul is specifically thankful for his friend and for the household of Onesiphorus, and he's thankful for him because of how he interacted with him. And I see four things in this interaction and what Paul is, is declaring here that I think all of us can learn from. All of us can take something from this as we try to become the kind of people that other people are thankful for. The first of them is this. We must refresh other people. He said, I'm thankful for the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed when I looked up the definition of the word refresh, it says to give new strength or energy to, to reinvigorate. Have you ever been around somebody, let's take it off us for a second, you ever been around somebody that just drains the life right out of you? Don't elbow the person beside you, don't do that. This is church, you don't need to do that. It's not nice, right? You ever just been around somebody that just drains the ever-living life out of you? I have. I've been around some people at previous churches, not at anybody at this church, other, other churches that I was a part of. They just would suck the life out of you. I just call them an energy vampire, right? They just suck the life right out of you. And then you see them across the way at the grocery store, and you become very interested in the stuff on the next aisle, right? I mean, you're ducking down. You're looking at stuff on the bottom shelf. You are, you're just leaving your buggy there. You go and get in your car. You're like, I didn't even need none of that stuff. You just don't want to talk to them because they suck the life right out of you, and you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to interact with them because every time you leave them, you just feel like, oh, <laughs> right? You just, it's just down in dumps and so, and, and here's, here's, <laughs> here's what I love about people like that. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They think that they are helping you. They think they're helping you. They just, you know what they usually lead with? Man, I hate people that are just so filled with drama. And you're like, really? Because you're like the most dramatic person that I know. <laughs> oh, I hate people that are always talking about bad stuff and what's going on. Really? Because you're like quoting the 6 o'clock news headlines to me. In other news, man dies. I mean, just shut up, right? I mean, just can you give me some good news at any point in our conversation? You're just sucking the life right out of me. No, no, no. If you want to be the kind of person that other people are thankful for, you need to be the kind of person that refreshes them. That just feels like a cold glass of water to somebody that's been walking through the desert. When they've been walking through a day or a week, it doesn't matter if good things are happening or bad things are happening. Like when they leave you, they go, I am thankful for that conversation. Man, I, I always feel better when I leave them. They, they encourage me. They, they refresh me. They bring new energy, new strength to me. 
I've got a few people in my life, I'm not kidding, when I leave them, I feel like I can run through a brick wall. It doesn't matter what I've been feeling like before I got to them, when I leave them, I'm like, yeah, we can do this. We've got this. I was in a a premarital counseling, not a premarital, I'm sorry, a marriage counseling session a, a, a while back, not any time recent. I was with some, a couple there, and they do not attend our church, and I, I was interacting with them, and, you know, I'm, I've just, I got to be honest with you. If you come to me for marriage counseling, I'm not a counselor, I'm a pastor, so I, I can't counsel you through certain aspects. I may refer you to a counselor that I believe can help you, but if you come to me, here's what you know. I am pro-marriage. I think just about anything can be worked through. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to try to keep you trapped in a relationship that's unhealthy or where there's abusive action. I'm not in that. But I believe that almost anything, we can work through it. And this couple was struggling with some stuff, and it it was a big deal to them, and it was a big deal, but it wasn't something that could not be overcome. And throughout the course of our conversation, I just kept saying to them, you guys are going to do this. You can make it. I believe in you. I believe you can make it. You know what, if, we, if we'll work on this, if you guys will communicate a little better, if this can happen, if we can help one another, if you'll listen, if she'll listen, if he'll talk, if he'll, she'll talk, like if we can just work on a few things here or there, you guys can make it. I, I believe in you. And there was one of those moments where I was saying that and the, the, the young lady started crying. And the husband looked at her and said, are you okay? She said, yeah. She said, I just, I needed somebody to tell us we could make it. Nobody else in our life has told us that yet. Everybody around them had been saying, yeah, you're probably headed for divorce. Yeah, he's a bum. Yeah, she's a mess. Like, yeah, I want to be the kind of person that breathes life into relationships. When people leave me, I want them to go, yeah, we can make it in our marriage. Yeah, we, my kids are going to make it. They're going to turn out okay. Yeah, it's a rough patch right now. Yeah, my business has turned a little bit, but you know what? I, I'm praying that God will give me some creative thought and some creative ideas, and we're going to turn this thing around and have a better next quarter than we had this. Like, I believe that we can do I want to refresh people. That's what Paul was thankful for in this relationship. He often refreshed me. He encouraged me. He built me up. If we're going to be the kind of people that other people are thankful for, we need to refresh them. The second thought is this. We need to stand by them. We need to stand by them. He said, because he often refreshed me, and he says this, because he was not ashamed of my chains. He was not ashamed of my chains. Now, I realize that there may be a limit to the ability to stand by some people as it relates to who they are, what they've done, perhaps. But I want to be the kind of person that when everyone else turns their back on someone and they just turn around and they're looking for anybody, I'm standing right there. Scripture tells us in in the Gospels, when there was an interaction, there was a conversation with Jesus and the disciples, they said, well, how often, and some of the followers there, how often should we forgive? Seven times? And he said, 70 times seven. Now, I don't think that was a math equation. I don't think it was the idea that we're supposed to forgive 490 times, but on that 491st time, you are out. I don't think that's what it was. He was saying, listen, in one single day, you just, it's just, you just give grace. You just give forgiveness. You just keep forgiving. You just keep giving grace. You just keep forgiving. You just keep giving grace. We just keep forgiving. The idea here is that unless someone, again, is abusing us, unless someone's doing something that is so detrimental to us or the health of, of us or our family, or, then, then I want to be standing next to someone as they wear their chains and everybody else leaves them abandoned. 
There's that great story where Jesus is standing there with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus has said to those religious leaders that are standing there holding rocks, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one after one, the rocks drop from the oldest to the youngest. There's so much you could preach there. And they turn and walk away. And all of a sudden, the woman looks up and Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? He was kneeling there in the dirt with someone that everybody else thought was too dirty to stand with. What Paul's thanking God for here is he's thanking God for a friend who stood by him. Thanking God for someone who stood by him. They didn't care to be associated with someone who was in chains. Here's here's what we say here at Canton Church. We love you where you're at. We just love you too much to let you stay there. I want to love you into the grace of God. I want to love you into the forgiveness of God. I want to love you into a deeper relationship with the Lord. But I'm going to love you where you are. I just love you too much to let you stay there. And so I'm going to constantly challenge you and constantly encourage you and constantly refresh you and constantly point you to the gospel message that Jesus loves you and I love you too. we got to stand by some people When everybody else turns their back, I want to have their back. The third thought is this. We've got to seek them out. We've got to seek them out. He said, not only did he refresh me and he was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. So when Onesephorus came to Rome and Paul was in prison or under house arrest, he searched for him. He looked for him. Corey and I were talking about a friend of ours uh, just yesterday, I guess, or maybe the day before. We were talking about a friend of ours. And we were talking about how this friend is he's very relational, but sometimes when he gets busy and he gets distracted, he tends to pull back and he tends to isolate. And in those moments of isolation is where he is the most vulnerable to compromising himself. And so she said to me, Jeremy, you need to stay close to him. You need to text him even when he's not texting you. You need to call him even when he's not calling you. You need to reach out. You need to, to, to see if you guys can drive halfway and meet together and meet for lunch or meet for coffee. Or you need to find a way to stay close to him. You need to seek him out. I'm thankful for people in my life who have sought me out. They haven't waited on me to initiate the relationship. They haven't waited on me to initiate the communication and the conversation. They've sought me out. They've texted me. They've called me. They've shown up. They, they've just come and said, hey, I just, I just need to spend some time with you. I just need to be with you for a little while. And, and it ended up being more for me than for them. But they knew that. And they were listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so they sought me out on your job. Maybe instead of just staying busy at your desk, you get up and you take a, a five-minute lap around the office. And you just stop by you know, everybody's cubicle for a second. And you just knock on the door. Hey, how you doing? Because in the busyness, as everyone's distracted and everybody's so laser-focused on accomplishing things, sometimes we need to seek people out so that they recognize that we're there if they need us. If we're going to have those type of refreshing relationships, if we're going to have those types of relationships where we're standing by them, they need to know that we are the one who is pursuing relationship. They're not going to be a bother to us if they call us. They're not going to be, because we're the one that's usually initiating that conversation, initiating that communication with them, because we are seeking them out. We don't wait on them. We move first. It's the example we see in God's love for us through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 tells us, 
that God's love for us is demonstrated in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He moved first. He didn't wait until we were good enough. He didn't wait until we could earn it. He didn't wait until we did all the right things or the right steps or we attended church enough or we joined a small group or we started serving. He didn't wait on all that. He said, no, no, no. Even while you are far off, I will move first toward you. If we're going to be the kind of people that other people are thankful for, we need to seek them out. The fourth thought is this. We need to support them. We need to support them. He said he often refreshed me. He wasn't ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. But what happened in Ephesus? In Ephesus, Paul was planting a church. He was planting a church there to reach a group of people that were in a really bad way. The city of Ephesus was a very immoral city. It was a city that had given itself to all kinds of evil and, and immorality and, and, and pestilence there. And so Paul was giving them the gospel. He had come into that place and he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to a group of people that did not really want to hear about good news in Jesus because they thought they had already figured out the way themselves. And we don't have a lot to, to go on here. This man, Onesephorus, he's only mentioned twice in all of the Bible, and both of them are by Paul here in the writings to Timothy. So we don't really know all that he did in Ephesus to help Paul, and so I don't want to go too far here. I don't want to add more to Scripture. There's a, a great challenge in, in trying to do that, but here's what I do want to say. When Paul was thanking God for Onesephorus, he said, you all know all of the ways that he helped me in Ephesus. Evidently, there was so much help and so much support that Onesephorus provided to Paul that it was something that the community of faith there was talking about. It was something that Timothy, his protege, would have known about because evidently it's something that Paul would have bragged about and would have been thankful for in everyday conversation. Now, when we launched this campus, we opened this campus, it was a, it was a tough job. We weren't in the city of Ephesus. We were in the Canton community, we were in Hickory Flat, we were over at Sequoia High School, but there were so many people that came alongside of that effort. Some of you are sitting in the room, and you recognize that it took a lot of people to make that work happen. People to drive trucks. We would pull up on Sunday morning to Sequoia High School, and some group of men had gotten, even before us, they had gone to a warehouse where our three trucks were stored. And on cold mornings like this one, there was like an 88% chance that at least one of those batteries in that truck was going to be dead. And so Pastor Trevor would drive his truck to the warehouse, take his battery out of his truck, put it in the U-Haul truck, take that battery out and leave it on the side so that we had a battery to get us to the school. And then on Sunday afternoon, he'd take it back to the warehouse, take that battery back out and put it in his own truck so he could drive it around all weekend. We replaced the battery. There was just some kind of battery drain. It was old trucks, but we had three trucks. Two 17-foot U-Hauls and a 24-foot box truck. And people would meet us there at Sequoia High School, and they would unload. We'd carry stuff into that school, and we'd set up kids' classrooms. We'd put down these little foam mats that are of the devil. You couldn't ever get the things, the tongues, the teeth, or whatever those things to match right. And Then these amazing women would come in, and they would 
they would clean all the toys. Even though the week before, the very last thing that we did before we put them in the tubs that we put up in the trucks was to clean the toys. Just in case germs got on them in the tubs in the middle of the week in the U-Haul in the warehouse, they wanted to make sure those babies were playing with clean toys. And so they would mop those foam mats and they would clean those toys. There was a group of people that came into that auditorium at Sequoia and they would run cable like a hundred feet from the back to the front so that we could have a TV that was helping us there with some preview of, uh, of the slides and the things on the front there leaned up against and they would set up screens, projection screens and we would come in sometimes and even though they had told us that you know it, they, they were going to leave all the props for the drama sets behind a certain line so often we would show up and wouldn't you know it Romeo and Juliet were going to have their amazing scene right where we were going to lead worship and so we would drape some pipe and drape around it and sometimes I was tempted to preach right from the tower oh wherefore art thou and so I, I was you know like people would show up and they would do it and then and then after we finished all that we would get together and we would huddle up and then and then a group of people would stand there and greet and welcome and man if it rained then we still had to do all of that and they would walk out of the school and they would load those trucks in the pouring down rain and they would go home soaking wet so that people could come and experience the life-giving message of Jesus Christ in a high school for 209 Sundays that's why there's 209 rocks on the front of this stage as a testimony of God's faithfulness to us in that season, I'm thankful for some of those people. And so I recognize that Paul would have been thankful for someone who helped him in a season where they were establishing a new work to reach people with the gospel message who otherwise had not reached, been reached with that gospel message. You want to be the kind of person that people are thankful for? You got to support them. You got to help them. How often are you walking up to the people in your life and saying, how can I help you? How can I help make your dreams happen? How can I help make your dreams become a reality? How can I serve you? How can I assist you? How can I help you today? We're so consumed with accomplishing our dreams and our hopes and our desires and if somebody comes up to us and says, hey, how can I help you? Man, doesn't it just feel like a breath of fresh air? And you're like, oh, man, well, if you could do this, if you could just help me with this, or if you know somebody, if you could put me in touch with somebody, that would be incredible. But how often are we the kinds of people that just walk up unprovoked and say, how can I help make your dreams a reality? If we want to be the kind of people that people are thankful for, that people give thanks for, we got to refresh them. we got to stand by them got to seek them out. We got to support them. Paul was pretty good at giving thanks for people. I just did a cursory study of some of the New Testament writings and in almost every one, either at the beginning of his writing or at the end of his writing, he thanked God for somebody. It looked like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. I thank God always for you. My hope is that you have a group of people, small group, large group, doesn't matter, that you can thank God for. If so, my challenge to you this week as you are giving thanks for all that you have to be thankful for is that you let them know. You let them know. Send them a text today. Call them. Don't do one of those like general text messages on Thanksgiving morning that you send to everybody in your contact list. We can tell that's not 
specific. We, we know that's generic. Hey, friend. And then it's like, okay, you're just talking to all of us, right? Text them a very specific text. Call them. Today before you leave, put your arm around them and say, hey, before you get out of town this week, I want you to know how thankful I am for you. Express that gratitude. Unexpressed, and remember, unexpressed thanks. Unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude to the other person. They don't know what you're thinking. They don't know what you're thinking. And if you don't have people like that, begin to pray and ask God to bring people into your life. But the reality is, be that kind of friend, and I believe that you will see that reciprocated back to you. Be that kind of person to others, and I believe you will see people begin to give you that kind of love and support and refreshing because they crave that kind of interaction. And as you're providing it to them, they'll begin to provide it for you. We want to be the kinds of people that other people are thankful for. Not so they're thankful for us necessarily, but so they see the work of God in and through our lives. Because ultimately, everything that we can do, we do because of what Jesus did for us. And today, as we enter into this Thanksgiving week, we want to take communion. I'm going to ask our host to prepare now to serve you in just a moment. Everything that we do, everything that we have, we do because of what Jesus did for us. And so today, before we take part in communion, I want you to personally reflect over who Jesus is to you, what he's done for you. I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment moment of personal reflection, just you and God, nobody else looking around, nobody else is talking right now. This is just a very sacred moment. Perhaps you would say today, you know, for me, I, I recognize that I'm not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I need to accept the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and enter into relationship with him, allow him to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, I want to be the kind of person that people are thankful for. I want to refresh them and stand by them. I want to seek them out and I want to support them. I want to reflect what Jesus Christ has done in and through me. I want to be that kind of person. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for us. When I say, man, they're going to come and they're going to begin to distribute these elements. I'm going to ask you just to hold the elements. We'll come back and take communion together in just a minute. But as we pray, I want you not just to pray, Lord, help me be that kind of person. I want you to begin to think about some people in your life specifically that need these kinds of people. Who do you know in your life, a coworker, a friend, a family member, that needs that kind of person? They need someone like you to step in and fill in the gap. I'm asking God this week to begin that process molding and shaping me into the person that they need. God, I thank you today for all that you've already done. I ask you now to respond to those that lifted their hands today and acknowledge their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, we thank you that Jesus Christ is enough and that the cross provided everything that we need for salvation. I ask you now to forgive our sins and lead and guide our lives from this point forward. Let us never be the same. In Jesus' name. God, I pray now for every person in this place who acknowledges that they want to be the kind of person that other people are thankful for. God, help us to stand in the gap 
for those that may not have other people. God, help us to refresh them. Help us to stand by them and not to be ashamed of their chains. Help us to seek them out, initiate the communication and the relationship, God, and to support them in whatever they're endeavoring to do. God, I pray that now we wouldn't just pray a simple prayer, but that, God, it would be personal and you would give us now in our minds that person in our lives that needs these kinds of people. God, let us seek them out. Let us begin to initiate this week. And God, I pray that you would help us to see you at work in and through us. And God, over these next few minutes, as we hold these elements in our hand before we come back to take together, I ask you to help us to remember Jesus Christ work of the cross and all that you've done in this season of thanksgiving that we have to be thankful for. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 